0: Chapter Twenty Five of Asphodel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Asphodel by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Five. But I wot best were ringeth me my show twenty-four hours after that quiet row up the moonlit river the south hill party were on the calais steamer tossing and tumbling about in the channel much to the discomfiture of mrs mauser who was a bad sailor and took care to make everybody in the ladies cabin perfectly familiar with that fact there was nothing of the spartan about mauser nothing in any wise heroic in her conduct under the trial of sea-sickness if there was a kind of martyr-like fidelity in her for even in her agony she never let her mistress's travelling-bag and jewel-box out of her eye nay would hardly trust those valuables out of her own grasp clutching at them convulsively in the throes of her malady and suspecting evil intentions in guileless fellow-sufferers it was a lovely night, and Madeline and Daphne both stayed on deck, to the indignation of Mauser, who was sure Miss Lawford would catch cold, and declared it was all Miss Daphne's doing. "'I thought you'd have come down to the cabin and had a comfortable lay-down,' said Mauser, when they had all scrambled or staggered up the oozy steps, and had been interrogated as to their names by an alert official, in a manner somewhat alarming to the sleepy and feeble-minded voyager." then came a weary hour or so in the warm light refreshment room a cup of coffee or a bouillon a few stifled yawns an occasional excursion to the platform and finally the welcome departure by flat fields and unknown marsh lands with the inevitable row of poplars against the horizon daphne seemed to know the depressing landscape by heart her father muffled in his corner slept peacefully Madeline slumbered, or seemed to slumber, Gerald and Edgar had secured a coupe to smoke in, and by a judicious arrangement with the guard, Sir Vernon and his daughters had a compartment all to themselves. But not one wink of sleep visited Daphne's eyelids. Wearily she watched the monotonous landscape, enlivened a little, now and then by a glimpse of village life in the clear cold light of early morning cattle moving about in misty meadows casements opening to the balmy air what a long journey it seemed to that one wakeful passenger but the longest were it even a long unprofitable uneventful life journey must end at last and by and by there came the cry of paris and the mandate that all passengers were to pass into the great bare luggage repository to answer for the contents of bags and baggage a weary interval during which the south hill party loitered in bleak waiting-rooms while Jinman and mrs Mauser delivered up keys and satisfied the requirements of the state a long day in paris during which sir vernon reposed from his fatigues at the bristol hotel while the young people went about sight-seeing a dinner at vignan's where daphne protested she could perceive no difference between the much vaunted consomme of that establishment and mrs spicer's clear soup. an evening at the francaise where they saw gott in mercadet and then off again in the early summer morning by the eight o'clock train for dijon and geneva a twelve hours journey it was a peerless morning paris with its busy markets and teeming life seemed brimming over with brightness and gaiety boulevard building in full progress wagons coming in from the country artisans hurrying grisettes tripping to their work daphne's spirits rose with the thought of fresh woods and pastures new i have been longing all my life to see switzerland she said when all the difficulties of departure were overcome and the train was speeding gaily past suburban gardens and groves and bridges and now i can hardly believe i am going there it is a journey to dream about and look forward to not to come to pass are no bright things ever to come to pass is all life to be dull and colourless asked gerald goring sitting opposite her in the railway carriage with lena by his side they were all together to-day having established themselves as comfortably as possible in the spacious compartment and having provided themselves largely with light literature wherewith to beguile the tedium of the journey i don't know about you said daphne you are an exceptional person and have been able to realize all your dreams not all answered gerald gravely i suppose no one ever does that you have but to form a wish and lo it is gratified murmured daphne taking no notice of his interruption last winter it flashed across your brain that it would be nice to shoot caribous poor innocent harmless caribous who had never injured you and in a thought you are off and away by seas and rivers and snow and ice to gratify the whim what pleasure can switzerland have for you every inch of it must be as vapidly familiar as that dear old english warwickshire which you esteem so lightly perhaps but it is a pleasure to revisit a familiar place with those i love i was a poor solitary waif when i went through switzerland from geneva to constance from lindau to samadon picking up my companions by the way or travelling in byronic solitude though by the way i doubt if byron ever was much alone judged by his poetry he may be a gloomy and solitary spirit but judged by his life and letters he was a social soul i like to think of him as gloomy and alone said daphne with a determined air please don't dispel all my illusions edgar was sitting by her side cutting up magazines and newspapers watchful of her every look thinking her every word delightful ready to minister to her comfort or pleasure but without much ability to entertain her with any conversational brightness unless they two could have been alone and could have talked of their future life at hawksyard the stables the gardens the horses they were to ride together next winter when daphne was to take the field a heaven-born diana he was never tired of talking of that happy future so near so near and to which he looked forward with such fervent hope they were nearing fontainebleau already the forest showed dark on the horizon daphne so vivacious hitherto became curiously silent she sat looking towards that distant line of wood that smiling valley with its winding river all her soul was in her eyes as she looked two years ago almost day for day two years and her heart had awakened suddenly from its long sleep of childish innocence to feel and to suffer gerald stole a look guiltily as it were at the too expressive face yes she remembered her soul was full of sad and tender memories he could read all her secrets in those lovely eyes the lips slightly parted the lace about her neck stirred faintly by the throbbing of her heart she had no more forgotten fontainebleau and their meetings there than he had to each it dated a crisis in life for each it had given a new colour to every thought and feeling Lena, her hands moving slowly in some easy knitting looked up at her sister are we not near fontainebleau where you spent your holidays once she asked yes daphne answered shortly you speak as if you had not been happy there i liked the place very much but it was a dull life poor miss toby and her sick headaches and dib for my only companion "'And Dibb was ineffably stupid,' said Gerald, suddenly forgetting himself, "'and moved to laughter at the thought of honest Martha's stolidity. "'At least I have often heard you say as much,' he added hastily. "'She was a good harmless thing, and I won't have her ridiculed,' said Daphne, "'brightening, all serious thoughts taking flight at the absurdity of Gerald's lapse. "'I wonder if she has finished that crochet-counterpane.' finished it of course not cried gerald she is the sort of girl who would die and come to life again in a better world still working at the same counterpane as i imagine from your description of her he concluded meekly they were leaving fontainebleau far behind them by this time its old church and its palace with all its historic memories of francis and henri napoleon and pious the seventh the forest was but a dark spot in the vanishing distance they were speeding away to the rich wine country with its vast green plains and steep hillsides clothed with vines at two o'clock they were at dijon and seemed to have been travelling a week sir vernon grumbled at the dust and heat and regretted that he had undertaken the whole journey in a day we ought to have stayed the night at dijon he said fretfully when they were out of the station steaming away towards macon after a hurried luncheon in the well-furnished refreshment-room it is a wretchedly dull place to stop at sir said gerald hardly anything to see At my age a man does not want always to be seeing things growled sir vernon he wants rest the day had been oppressively hot a sultry heat a sun-baked landscape madeline and her sister bore it with admirable patience beguiling the tedium of those long hours now with conversation now with books anon with quiet contemplation of the landscape which for a long way offered no striking features it was growing towards evening when they entered the jura region and found themselves in a world that was really worth looking at a wild strange world as it appeared to daphne's eye vast rolling masses of hill that seemed to have been thrown up in long waves before this little world assumed shape and solidity precipitous green slopes grassy walls that shut out the day and the deep rapid river cleaving its tumultuous course through the trough of the hills don't you think this is better than stratford upon avon asked gerald mockingly as he watched daphne's excited face her eyes wide with wonder ever so much wilder and grander i should like to live here Why? because in such a world one would forget oneself, one's own poor little troubles would seem too mean and trumpery to be thought about. No man's trouble is small or mean to the sufferer himself, replied Gerald, there is nothing grand or dignified in the abstract notion of Job's boils, yet to him they meant an unendurable agony which tempted him to curse his creator and destroy his own life. I don't believe the grandest natural surroundings would lessen one's sense of the thorn in one's side." "'I don't think you have any thorns, Daphne,' said Edgar tenderly, "'or that you need take refuge from your sorrows among these desolate-looking mountains?' "'Of course not. I was only speaking generally,' answered Daphne, lightly. "'But, oh, what a mighty world it is, hills that climb to the sky! and such lovely tranquil valleys lying between those dark earth walls vines and water-mills and waterfalls tumbling over rocky beds if switzerland is much grander than this i think its grandeur will kill me i can hardly breathe when i look up at those great dark hills i don't know that there is anything in switzerland that impresses one so much as one's first view of the jura said gerald it is the giant gateway of mountain land the entrance into a new world the heat seemed to increase rather than diminish with the shades of evening no cool breeze sprang up with the going down of the sun the sultry atmosphere thickened and became almost stifling. And then, just as it was growing dark, big raindrops came splashing down. A roar of thunder rolled along the hills like a volley of cannon. Thin threads of vivid light trembled and zigzagged behind the hill tops. And the storm, which had been brooding over them all the afternoon, broke in real earnest—a thunderstorm in the Jura! Exclaimed Gerald. "What a lucky young woman you are, Mistress Daphne!" here is one of nature's grandest effects got up as if on purpose to give you pleasure i hope it may cool the air said sir vernon from the comfortable corner where he had been fitfully slumbering ever since they left the french territory daphne sat looking out of the window and spoke never a word she was drinking in the beauty and grandeur of this unspeakable region trying to fill her soul with the form and manner of it yes it was worth while living were it only to see these mountain peaks and gorges these hurrying waters and leaping torrents these living forces of everlasting nature she had been weary of her life very often of late so weary that she would gladly have flung it off her like a worn-out garment and have lain down in dull contentment to take her last earthly rest but to-night she was glad to be alive to see the forked lightnings dancing upon the mountain-sides to hear all earth shudder at the roar of the thunder to feel herself a part of that grand conflict a little later when they had gone through an almost endless tunnel and were nearing geneva the thunder grew more and more distant seemed to travel slowly away like an enemy's cannon firing stray shots as the foe retreated and the night sky flung off its black cloud mantle and all the stars shone out of a calm purple heaven while the little lights of the city faint yellow spots upon the dark blue night trembled and quivered in the distance isn't this dreadfully like one's idea of manchester said daphne when they were in the station and tickets were being collected in the usual business-like way can there be a higher model than manchester for any commercial city asked gerald commercial oh i hope there is nothing commercial in switzerland i've always thought of it as a land of mountains and lakes so is scotland yet there is such an element as trade in that country you are bent on destroying my illusions oh what a horrid row of omnibuses cried daphne as they came out of the station and confronted about twenty of those vehicles with doors hospitably open and commissionaires eager to abduct new arrivals for their several hotels and where is mont blanc she inquired looking up at the surrounding chimney-pots at your elbow answered gerald but you may not see him to-night the monarch of mountains is like our own gracious sovereign and is not always visible to his subjects there was a private carriage from the beau rivage hotel waiting for the south hill party and in this they all drove down a hilly street which was bright and clean and wide and prosperous-looking but cruelly disappointing to daphne Jinman and mauser followed in the omnibus with the luggage mauser like daphne was considerably disappointed if this is switzerland i call it very inferior to brighton she said snappishly where are the glaciers and mountings did you expect to find them just outside this station demanded the more travelled gentleman i have lived months in switzerland and never seen a glacier i don't hold with having one's bones rattled to bits upon a mule for the sake of seeing a lot of dirty ice one can look at that any hard winter on the serpentine Switzerland is Switzerland, answered Mauser sententiously, and I don't hold with travelling all this way from home. I'm sure I thought this blessed day would never come to an end unless we are to see something out of the common. The hotels are first- class, said Jimman, and so are the restaurants on board the boats. Nobody need starve in Switzerland. Can we get a decent cup of tea? asked Mauser. There's not a scullery-maid at South Hill as would drink such catlap as they brought me at the Bristol. Jenman explained that the teapot was an institution fully understood in the helvetian states there are more domestic people than the french said Jenman condescendingly i must say that for them but geneva is the poorest place for restaurants i was ever at plenty of your Caffee Stamines, where you may drink bad wine and smoke bad cigars to your heart's content, but hardly a decent house where you can get a dejeuner a la fourchette or give a little bit of dinner to a friend. The hotels have got it all their own way. "'They ought to,' answered Mousel, "'when there's such a many of them, I wonder they can all pay.' At the Beau Rivage, Sir Vernon and his daughters found a spacious suite of rooms on the third floor, many-windowed balconied, looking over the lake. The two young men had secured quarters a little way off at the international, Sir Vernon grumbled at being put on the third story after having given due notice of his coming. but the American dollar and the Russian rouble had bought up the first and second stages of the big hotel, and an English country gentleman must needs be contented with an upper floor. But the rooms were lovely, and Daphne was delighted with their altitude. We are all the nearer mont blanc she said standing half in and half out of the window one of the waiters told me it was over there tout près but though i have been straining my eyes ever since i can't discover a gleam of snow behind those dark hills there were the loveliest flowers on the tables and cabinets such flowers as one hardly expects to find at a hotel were it never so luxurious Madeline admired them wonderingly one would think the people here knew my particular vanity and were anxious to gratify me she said and then turning to one of the waiters who was arranging books and writing desks on the tables she asked have you always such lovely flowers in the rooms no madame they were ordered this morning by a telegram from paris father no gerald It must have been your doing a happy thought while i was loitering about that miserable railway station replied gerald how good of you, dear flowers, They make the place seem like home when you are settled at Montreux, we can arrange for the contents of the Abbey hot houses to be sent you weekly. It will be something for that pampered menial McCloskey to look after in the intervals of his cigars and metaphysical studies. I have an idea that he employs all his leisure in reading dugald Stuart. There is a hardness about him which I can only attribute to a close study of abstract truth daphne was standing out in the balcony with edgar at her side looking down at the scene below geneva seemed pretty enough in this night view a city of lake and lamplight ringed round with mountains a city of angles and bridges sharp lines lofty houses peaked roofs the dark bulk of a cathedral with a picturesque lantern on the roof dominating all the rest i think if it would only lighten i could see mont blanc said daphne with her eyes fixed upon that bit of sky to which the waiter had pointed when she questioned him about the mountain one good vivid flash would light it up beautifully my dearest how dangerous exclaimed edgar pray come out of the balcony you might be blinded i'll risk that it will not be the first time i have stared the lightning out of countenance a summer flash lit up the sky as she spoke there was one wide quiver of pale blue light but never a glimpse of snow-clad peak gleamed from the distance how horrid exclaimed daphne but that was a very poor flash i'll wait for a better one she waited for a half a dozen in spite of edgar's urgent efforts to lure her indoors but the summer flashes showed her nothing but their own vivid light if the electric light proved no better than that for all practical uses i don't envy the inventor she exclaimed with infinite disgust Dinner was served in the adjoining room but Madeline and her sister begged to be excused from dining they would take tea together in the drawing-room while the three gentlemen dined Sir Vernon declared that he had no appetite but he was willing to sit down for the public good as it were after which protest he did ample justice to a sole à la normande and a poulet à la marengo to say nothing of such pretty tiny kickshaws as gâteau saint honoré and ice pudding for madeline and daphne a round table was spread with a snowy cloth a pile of delicious rolls unquestionable butter and a glass dish of pale golden honey excellent tea and cream a thoroughly arcadian meal dearest how brightly your eyes are sparkling said lena with an admiring look at the young face opposite i can see you are enjoying yourself yes there's always a pleasure in novelty why cannot one pass all one's life in new places the world is wide enough it is only our own foolishness that keeps us tied like a poor tethered animal to one dull spot why daphne i thought you were so fond of home that the banks of the warwickshire avon made up your idea of earthly paradise sometimes yes but lately i've grown terribly tired of warwickshire that's a bad hearing and next year when you are settled at hawksyard please don't speak of that thank heaven we are three days journey from hawksyard let me forget it if i can daphne how can you talk like that of a dear old place which is to be your home a place where one of the best men living was born if you think him such a wonder of goodness why did you not have him when he asked you cried daphne in a sudden fit of irritation those nerves of hers always too highly strung were to-night at their sharpest tension i am sick to death of hearing him praised by people who don't care a straw about him daphne exclaimed Lena, more grieved than offended at this outburst. Daphne was on her knees beside her sister in the next moment. Forgive me, darling. I am hideously cross and disagreeable. I suppose it is that tiresome lightning and the annoyance of not seeing Mont Blanc. All that long, dusty, fusty journey, and nothing but a hotel and a lit town at the end of it. I wanted to find myself in the very heart of mountains and glaciers and avalanches. I think you know how honestly— I like Edgar, said Madeline, believing in her guilelessness that Daphne had resented her praise of Mr. Churchill because she fancied it hollow and insincere. I dare say if I had not cared for Gerald long before Edgar proposed to me, I might have given Mr. Churchill a different answer. I cannot tell how that might have been. My life has had only one love. I loved Gerald from the days when he first came to South Hill, a schoolboy, when he used to tell me all his troubles and his triumphs when any success of his made me prouder than if it had been my own. My heart was given away ages before Edgar ever spoke to me of love. I know, dear, I can understand it all. Only don't you know, when everybody conspires to praise the young man to whom one is engaged, and when all one's relations are everlastingly congratulating one upon one's good fortune, the implication being that it is quite undeserved, there is a kind of weariness that creeps over one's soul at the sound of those familiar phrases— i will never praise him again dear answered lena smiling at her i shall be perfectly contented to know that you value him as he deserves to be valued and that your future happiness is assured by his devoted love daphne gave a fretful little sigh but made no further protest she was thinking that she had seen a newfoundland dog every whit as devoted as edgar yet the affection of that newfoundland would have hardly been deemed all sufficient for the happiness of a lifetime she went back to the table and did execution upon the rolls and honey with a healthy girlish appetite despite that feverish unrest which disturbed the equal balance of her mind daphne ordered edgar to attend her on an exploration of the city next morning directly after breakfast madeline and my father know the place by heart she said and of course mr goring is tired of it how could a man who is weary of all creation care for geneva who told you i was weary of creation asked gerald languidly your ways and your manners replied daphne i knew as much the first time i saw you the weather was clear and bright the town looking its best as daphne and her lover left the hotel on their excursion they were to be back before noon at which hour they were to start with gerald and Madeline for if it were not for the lake this place would be beneath contempt said daphne decisively as they crossed the low level bridge and lingered to look at the sapphire Rhone and to speculate upon that deepened azure hue which the waters assume when they flow from the lake into the river it is no more like the geneva of my dreams than it is like jerusalem the golden is it not really of course not my idea of switzerland was a succession of mountain ledges varied by an occasional plank across a torrent. Imagine my revulsion of feeling at finding a big business-like town with omnibuses and cafes and manufactories and everything that is commonplace and despicable. But surely I think you must have known that Geneva was a town, faltered Edgar, grieved at his dear one's ignorance, and glad to think his mother was not by to compare this foolishness with her own precise geographical knowledge acquired thirty years ago at Miss and carefully harvested in the storehouse of a methodical mind well perhaps i may have expected something in the way of a city a semicircle of white peaky houses on the margin of the lake a mediaeval watch-tower or two the gothic gateway the very gate that was shut against rousseau don't you know and mont blanc in full view i call it a very fine town said edgar venturing to disagree with his beloved I wish it did not swarm so with english and americans i have heard nothing but my own tongue since i came out protested daphne she was better pleased presently when they mounted a narrow street on the side of a breakneck hill she was tolerably satisfied with the cathedral where the tomb of the great protestant leader henri de varhan took her fancy by its massive grandeur cautioned lions at its base the soldier in his armor above she was interested in the pulpit from which Calvin and Theodore de Beze preached the reformed faith and was somewhat disgusted with her companion for his utter ignorance of the historic past save inasmuch as it was feebly reflected in the most limited and conventional course of instruction. What did you learn at rugby? she asked impatiently. You don't seem to know anything. We didn't give much time to history except livy and xenophon answered Edgar feebly apologetic and therefore you are not a bit of use as a cicerone you really ought to subscribe to moody and read a lot of instructive books there's no good in reading old histories people are always discovering letters and archives that put the whole story of the past in a new light you must get your history hot from the press i would rather take my information at second hand from you dear answered edgar meekly it seems natural to women to read a great deal and to find almost a second life in books but men are you so shamefully lazy that their capacity for taking in knowledge is exhausted by the time they have skimmed the daily papers? Answered Daphne. And now, please take me to the museums. Mister goring told you about. With some trouble and a good deal of inquiring, they found a private collection of art and bric-a-brac, historical relics, furniture, Delf and china that was well worth seeing. Then, having regaled their eyes upon this to the uttermost, they scampered off to the public museum. Where the only objects of thrilling interest were the manuscripts and letters of dead and gone celebrities from calvin downwards they found that famous reformer's penmanship as angular as his character they found bossuet a careless and sprawling writer then a law careful neat and fine the duc de richelieu a fop, even in the use of his pen his writing exquisitely clear minute and regular while de maintenon's hand was large bold angular and eminently readable the natural indication of an unscrupulous managing temper a woman born to govern by fair means or foul daphne lingered a little over rousseau's manuscript of julie a work of delicate neatness evidently copied from the rough draft is not julie one of the novels which one mustn't read asked daphne when she had perused half a page it looks uncommonly dull i thought wicked stories were always interesting Edgar had never heard of Julie, it was doubtful if he had ever heard of Rousseau, but at this remark he hurried Daphne away from the manuscript, lest some snaky little bit of immorality should uncurl itself on the page and lift up its evil head before her. It was time for them to get back to the hotel, so they gave but a cursory glance at the pictures and other treasures of the museum, and hastened into the glare of the broad white street where Edgar insisted upon putting his betrothed into a fly they found Madeline and gerald waiting for them in the porch of the beau rivage and a smart open carriage with a pair of horses ready to take them to Ferney. thank goodness we are going away from geneva said daphne as the carriage rattled through the wide clean streets towards the country and now i suppose we shall see something really swiss you will see the home of a great man of letters answered gerald looking at her lazily with those languid dreamy eyes whose shifting hue had so puzzled her in the force of fontainebleau and as you are such a hero worshipper that ought to satisfy you i don't care a straw for voltaire said daphne indeed and pray how much do you know about him everything i have read carlyle's description of him in frederick the great he was a horrid man cringed to his goat-faced eminence Dubois allowed himself to be caned by the duc de rohan's hired bravos the duke looking on out of a hackney-coach window all the time don't say aloud himself i don't suppose he could help it he ought to have prevented it imagine a great man beginning his career by being beaten in the public streets who knows that your shakespeare did not get a sound drubbing from sir thomas lucy's gamekeepers before he was stung into retaliating by that exquisitely refined lampoon which tradition ascribes to him you worship your swan of avon for what he wrote not for what he did can you not deal the same measure to voltaire i don't know anything of his writing except a few speeches out of zaire and an epitome of his louis if you are going to put him on an equality with shakespeare i am not but i say that as an all-round literary worker he never had an equal unless it were scott who has surpassed him in many things and who could i believe have equalled him on any ground scott was an old dear answered daphne with her usual flippancy and i would rather have Kenilworth and the bride of lamamore than all this voltaire of yours ever wrote and which you most conscientious of critics never read well daphne what do you think of the country asked madeline now that they had left the city and were driving slowly uphill through a pastoral district is it not pretty pretty cried daphne of course it is pretty but it isn't swiss what do i care for prettiness there is enough of that and to spare in warwickshire why with ineffable disgust the country is absolutely green what color did you expect it to be asked Edgar, smiling at her energetic displeasure white of course one dazzling sweep of snow one blinding world of whiteness if you want that kind of thing you had better go to the north pole said gerald not i if this is switzerland i have done with traveling i dare say the north pole is as tame as stratford high street does not that grandeur range frowning yonder content you asked gerald is not your eye satisfied by the cloud-wrapped alps on the other side of that blue lake no they are too far off i want to be among them a part of them after a hypocritical waiter telling me last night that mont blanc was la tout près a truthful chambermaid confessed this morning that it is fourteen hours drive to Chamounix, and then one is only at the foot of the mountain as for this landscape we are now travelling through it is uncommonly like jersey said edgar i took my mother there for her holiday five summers ago it is a capital place for boating and rambling about and crossing over to the other islands but Mater didn't like it the people weren't genteel enough for her the gowns and bonnets weren't up to her mark they were at fernay by this time a rustic village with one or two humble cafes, a few small shops a farmyard here daphne descried a pair of oxen drawing a wagon of hay noble beasts dappled and tawny and the sight of these gave a foreign air to the scene which in some wise lessened her disgust a shaded shrubberied drive admitted them to the house where voltaire lived so long and so peacefully and which is now in the occupation of a gentleman who graciously allows it to be shown rather ungraciously by his major-domo lightly as daphne had spoken of voltaire she was too keenly imaginative not to be interested in the house which any famous man had inhabited two quiet rooms salon and bedchamber looked into a short broad alley of trees a garden and summer-house perched high on the hillside and commanding a wide prospect of fertile valley and gloomy mountain all things in those two rooms were exactly as they had been in the great man's lifetime everything was exquisitely neat and all the colours had faded to those delicate half-tints which the artistic soul loveth faint greys and purples fainter greens and fawn colours here was the narrow bed on which voltaire slept with his embroidered coverlet chairs and covered with tapestry walls upholstered with figured satin damask pale with age the canes portrait over the bed madame de chatelet's opposite where the great satirist's cynical glance must have rested on it as he awakened from his slumbers they all looked reverently at these things hushed and subdued by the thought that they were amidst the surroundings of the dead belongings that had once been familiar and precious to him who now slept last long sleep in his vault at the pantheon where never-ending gangs of cooks tourists are perpetually being ushered into his mausoleum and perpetually asking one another who was voltaire they loitered a little in the garden wrote their names in a visitor's book and then went back to explore the village and to take a modest luncheon of coffee and bread and butter sour claret and guillier cheese at one of the humble taverns while the horses stood at ease before the door, and the driver refreshed himself modestly at the expense of his fare. They drove home to the hotel by a way which passed through a quaint village, and then skirted the lake, and which was somewhat more romantic than the country road by which they had come, and Daphne expressed herself satisfied, on the whole, with her first day in Switzerland. End of chapter 25